Good morning, Nadole Clowen. Merry Christmas. It is Sunday the 26th of December. How are we all feeling this morning? Are we feeling stuffed to the brim after our big lunch yesterday? This is Ewan Thomas from Planet here at Pure West Radio again at this Boxing Day special of our look back at some of the people, the projects and the communities who we've worked with across the last year, two years here in Pembrokeshire. As it is the festive weekend that it is, um, we're going to focus a little bit looking at St David's, looking at the cathedral and a conversation that we had back in February of this year with with the Dean of St David's, the very Reverend Dr Sarah Rowland-Jones, who spoke to my colleague John Ewart about the work of the cathedral during lockdown and how it's still very much a part of the community despite the challenges it faced and how it's actually continued that work post-lockdown. We'll also be talking to the LEAF project, which is the local Energy Action Force project, and what they've been doing in Pembrokeshire with the funding that they've received from the LEADER programme. But first, as it is the Christmas weekend, sit back and listen to the Dean of St David's talk about the work that they've been doing at St David's Cathedral, reflecting back on the challenges of COVID and the pandemic and the work which they do across many communities and the outreach programmes that they have. Radio Planet, the Planet podcast. Hello, I'm talking to the very reverend Dr Sarah Rowland-Jones, Lieutenant of the Victorian Order, um, Order of the British Empire, and Dean of St David's Cathedral. Dean Sarah, thanks very much for taking time. It's lovely to be with you. Um, Is it all right if I call you Dean Sarah during this? Yeah, that's by far the simplest answer. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a very impressive title. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) So you're you're the Dean of St David's Cathedral. Um, And so who else works in your your team in, in the cathedral? Right, well... On the clergy staff, I have a sort of a deputy, the sub-dean, Canon Lee Richardson, um, and he and I are the the permanent clergy staff here. And we also have two people who, in other circumstances, might be called curates, but because we're cathedrals and fancy, we call them minor canons. But those are two uh, people, uh, Reverend Jill, Reverend Sophie, who are in training roles. Um, And then alongside of that, I have... um, a staff for the whole cathedral that's over 30 people, although quite a few are part-time, 
And that's everything from looking after the building and the grounds to uh, the administration behind the scenes. People that are, are very visible are the music staff, or certainly in normal times, so the director of music, the, who's also the chief of the senior organist and his assistant. Um, and we also have an education and pilgrimage officer and others besides shop staff and more and more. Wow. It's, it's quite a large setup here yeah. altogether. And actually, that's one of the things that I wanted to ask, because when um, you, you kindly agreed to do this, I was thinking, yes, St David's Cathedral, and it brings up the images into your mind of, um, well, particularly daffodils this time of year and um, and... Deep down, my, my gut feeling was, yeah, I know what a cathedral is. Um, I've been to Canterbury, I've been to St David's, I know them. But then really thinking about it, I don't know what a cathedral does. What is a cathedral? OK, right. Start with a bit of a history lesson, shall <laughs> yes, <please>. we? <laughs> <laughs> so if you go back, oh, more than 1,500 years, even to the very earliest centuries of the churches, uh, as the Christianity spread from Jerusalem and around the Mediterranean and beyond. The way that the church within the first couple of centuries started to tr structure itself was that you'd have a bishop, the senior clergy person, um, responsible for uh, an area. Um, and within that area, they would ordain and send out priests and deacons and others to do the work of the church. And so, so your basic unit is the bishop and the area for which the bishop is responsible. And our bishop, of course, is Bishop Joanna Pemberthy. And she is the bishop of St. David's. And the area that she's responsible for is known as the diocese. And it covers all of Ceredigion, Pembrokeshire, Carmarthenshire. Now, bishops have a throne, <laughs> a fancy seat from which they would... Uh, both spiritually and in the organisation of the diocese, so to speak. That would be where their, their focus was. And the bishop's throne in was known as the cathedra, the seat. And so the cathedra, the, where the seat of the bishop is, is in the cathedral. And so historically, the, our bishop lived here. And, the, and we still have this large 13th, 14th century wooden throne in the choir the great tall canopy, yeah. and that's historically the bishop's cathedral, the bishop's seat. Now, things at St David's are a little bit different because, as you might know, the bishop now lives in Abergwilly and has done so basically since 1542 because at the time of the Reformation, the bishop, the first of Henry VIII's Protestant bishops, basically fell out with the clergy of the cathedral and decamped to the, uh, the, the, the um, well, what became the Bishop's Palace in Abergwilly, where there was a community of monks, and basically took it all over, cited himself there, almost managed to get St David's Cathedral dissolved, like so many <laughs> monasteries were. But how the, the cathedral seems to have survived is that because Henry VIII um, had Welsh roots, Henry VIII liked St. Liked St. David. The other thing was well, my predecessor and the clergy of the time uh, saw which way the wind was blowing. Hmm. And the tomb of Henry VIII's grandfather, Edmund Tudor, which had been in the Franciscan church in Carmarthen, that was bound to be dissolved because the Franciscans yeah. across the country were. And so we have, if you come to St. David's, this huge tomb between the choir and the high altar. It gets in everybody's way, but it's really, really prominent. You can't miss it. And so Henry VIII's grandfather was moved here. So St David and the grandfather, I don't think Henry VIII was going to allow this place to be destroyed. So we're still here now, but the bishop is still in Carmarthen. So that's the way that we, we run things here. So, so yeah. go back, shall I go back now to what the, the cathedral is all yes. about? Yes. 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 And so it's not just the focus for the bishop, um, but it's also seen as the mother church for the whole of the diocese, the whole of the area. And so services that are about the totality of who we are as a unit together happen here. Um, ordaining new deacons and priests. The bishop is here for Easter Sunday and for Midnight Mass at Christmas, and various other events for the diocese as a whole are here. 
but also through the year we welcome groups when we can from across the diocese to come and spend time within the cathedral because it, it's not like the parish church this is my parish this is your parish depending where you live we say welcome home to everybody who's from across the diocese we're here for everyone mm -hmm. although we're also the parish church of the, the tiny weeny city of st david's as well yeah well, thank you. Thank you, Dean Sarah. And I'm going to um, ask another question that's very easy for me to ask, but it's probably more difficult for you to answer. Um, what does a dean of a cathedral do? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I say my job is to smile at everyone and to carry the can. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> Because in a sense, as the, as the senior priest here, often I'm the figurehead for the life of the cathedral, particularly anything that, that doesn't relate to the bishop. Um, and in some senses, it's my job to keep the whole show on the road, but to give everybody else the space to, to grow into the responsibilities that they carry. But like I say, I'm also the one who's prepared to, to carry the can for things. I'm responsible. The buck stops with me. <laughs> um, and so that covers everything from uh, the sense of being responsible to ensure that the rhythm of the worshipping life day by day continues, although that's something obviously with which I, I share with others, through to a sort of CEO type job of just managing uh, the oversight of the finances, uh, the buildings, not just the cathedral itself, but across the crook, the, the whole cathedral close inside the medieval wall. We have a huge array of buildings and structures. We're responsible for, for nearly everything one way or another, apart from the, the old historic Bishop's Palace, which Cadu run and have done since, and its predecessor yeah. bodies since the 1930s. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to do. And, consider do. <laughs> <laughs> and considering the number of, of people who come to St David's anyway, um, and people on pilgrimage to St David's. Um, yes, um, in, in 2019, which was the last quote-unquote normal year, um, we have a sort of electronic counter in the South Porch and we came within a whisker of 300,000 people <sighs> passing through. And I know that some of those will be duplicates, but also people come in through other entrances as well. So, so we guess it balances itself out. Hmm. And so those people are our own parish people, there are people, members of the choir, those who are in and out of the cathedral day by day, but there are those who come regularly on Sundays and to other services, choral evensong during the week. But then there are people just as tourists and particularly during the school holidays and in the summer we get, we can get over 2,000 people in the course of a single day. Um, but there are also those who are very intentionally coming as pilgrims from around the world. But one of the interesting things is, and you know, when you go inside the cathedral, somehow the wow factor gets you. There's something that speaks of, of the inordinate history of the place and the way that it has been holy ground for centuries and generations yeah. and countless millions. And that somehow gets under the skin of people, whether they're conscious of deliberately coming as pilgrims or not. We find so many people just feel themselves deeply moved by the experience of being within the place. And so our job, in a sense, if we had a sort of a, a strap line, it would be welcoming visitors as pilgrims because we want to allow everybody to have that, that capacity to engage with the sense of the the holiness of the place and of the God who we best know in Jesus Christ, who is the source of all that holiness, the one to whom people have prayed and come close, have felt that him alongside them in the ups and downs of life, the joys, the sorrows, the strains, the stresses, the hopes, the fears. Because, the, you know, the essence of the Christian faith is not that God is created the world and said, OK, guys, get on with it, and sits like an old man with a beard on a cloud far away saying, thou shalt not. But that God, having given humanity free will and the capacity to, to mess up, actually then comes and stands alongside us, shares in the human life, bears the consequences of human mess, we say, on the cross, mm. and so therefore is able to be with us 
There's, there's no part of human experience which is sort of beyond God's capacity mm. to empathize, to be compassionate, and to help us through. Mm. I suppose prayer is, prayer is for our benefit as much as anything else. It's not necessarily about trying to twist God's arm to give us the answer we want. But what it does do inexorably is draws us close to God so that we might find God with us. The promise is not to haul us out of any mess, often of our own creating, but to be with us in and through it and help us out and beyond to the other side. You talked about um, 2019, the, the 300,000 uh, visitors there, and also you, you, you're talking about the uh, uh, this time we're leading up to Easter. Um, if, if, if there was no COVID-19, there was no lockdown, what, what would the cathedral be doing at this moment? Well, we, we, the preparations for, for Easter start on Ash Wednesday, uh, the beginning of Lent, which this year is on February the 17th. And so what it is is a season of preparation, really, so that when we come to the climax of, of the Easter uh, weekend, that we prepare ourselves, so to speak, to stand once again at the foot of the cross on Good Friday and outside the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. And that we should be prepared and ready, feeling ready to receive, okay, God, you know, I'm not the person I was 12 months ago. My life has developed, changed, different, you know, things happen. So where am I at this year and what do I need to receive from God? How do I need to be open to learn what it is, the enormity, the infinite uh, redemptive love of God in Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and rising again, bearing the pains, the sorrows, the failings, the sins, to use the fancy theological word, of the whole world, but somehow overcoming them and saying, newness of life, fresh beginnings, start again. And if I'm going to receive, you know, I'm greedy for the goodness of God in my life. So I want to be as ready as I possibly can to receive the maximum of all God desires for me in that dynamic of, of rescue, salvation, redemption, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And so Lent is that time of getting mm -hmm. ready. And I think in most years, we tend to try and create the space to do that preparation by giving up. This year, uh, COVID has taken away so much from so many already that I don't think giving up really is on the is on the cards of a thing that we need to do, or perhaps not for most of us. Rather, I suspect it's to take the time to ponder the taking away that's been forced upon us, <laughs> to really sort of rest and acknowledge the enormity of the burdens that we've borne in so many different ways for for a year. But I mean, the, the anniversary of the first lockdown will fall during Lent. And so to reflect on what we've been through so that we can receive that goodness from God. Mm. And also, in a sense, to prepare ourselves for, quote, the new normal, because it's not a matter of going back to where we were before. There are some things, actually, I think we'll be quite glad to have let go of, mm. lots of things that we might have learned to do better and to do, to do differently. Mm. But also, I think it's up to us to create and shape the new normal. And I think that that's for us personally. But I also would like to hope that there's a, going to be a proper national conversation on a, on a big, much more political, societal level about what sort of new normal do we want. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm really keen on is that we don't just clap for the NHS and say, well done, but that public opinion really leans hard on our politicians and says, now, pay up, fund the NHS properly. Pray, pay a proper wage to our, our medical, our social care staff, the people at the front end. Do the joined upness of, of drawing it all together uh, and actually build a kinder, caring society that actually looks after those who are, are most vulnerable 
and doesn't just pile ahead like a sort of an economic juggernaut which benefits the, the strong and the powerful at the expense of the poor and the weak. Hmm. Actually, there are a few points, and, and thank you, Dean Sarah, for, for, for mentioning that, uh, but there are a few points I want to go back to um, where you were saying about... Um, well, there's the new normal which is ahead of us. Um, how, how, I mean, the cathedral and your work won't have stopped because we're under restrictions. How are you? No. Uh, no. <laughs> um, but you've, I, I'm sure you've had to change. I mean, you can't have congregations in the church sat down, but you will still have a congregation. How, how do you operate now? Yeah, it, well, it's, it's changed through the last year. First, one thing was allowed or one thing wasn't, and then this and then that. There are... Um, Technically, legally, we are allowed to have a congregation, provided everybody is socially distanced, etc., etc., and all the, the hygiene precautions are there. But at, at the moment, the advice is if you don't have to, don't do it, because we know that the risk is tends not to be people sitting in the pew with a mask on, not being allowed to sing, but actually the way that because we're a community, we... We all want to mingle with one yeah. another before and after services. And that's the thing that certainly at the moment um, we're trying to avoid. But one of the things we are doing is we are maintaining um, an open door policy through the week, Wednesday to Saturday, uh, 10 till 3. Individuals can just come in and sit in the, the main body of the cathedral and you know have their quiet time to pray, to reflect, to ponder to light a candle, whatever it is you need to do. And, and that is, and we have the sanitizer at the door. And we've had that capacity for people to, to pray within the cathedral ever since we reopened after the first lockdown. Um, and I think that the governments have realised how deeply important this is for people's spiritual, mental, emotional well-being, to have a, 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 a place of sanctuary, I suppose, sanctuary for the soul mm. uh, to come yeah. and be. Yeah. Um, so that that's one thing that we can do sort of in meat space. But the thing the where the, the biggest change has been is is online. Um, <laughs> we, we sort of scrabbled our way through Holy Week and Easter last year, all desperately learning how to film ourselves on our own phones and upload things to Facebook and YouTube or to film different bits and pieces separately and edit them all together and upload them. And actually, uh, that, I suppose, is one of the biggest learning curves and a permanent change. And I suspect in the longer term, at some point, we ought to have been thinking about expanding our online presence in this way. So one of the good things about... The, the consequences, the legacy of the pandemic has forced us to up mm. our game and we've, mm. we've invested in better Wi-Fi, which we needed in order to do the, the, the broadcasting, um, and we've bought better equipment. And so now if we have our own YouTube channel and on the Facebook page you'll see that we, we our main Sunday service is entirely online. Yesterday morning, or it was, as, as we speak, uh, this last weekend, uh, um, I was in the cathedral uh, leading a service. It was just me, uh, a verger, someone who helps with the building, and, and someone running the techie equipment. And the three of us ran the whole service. Oh, and the organist, because up in the organ loft, he's socially distanced. He can play there. We put the words on the screen and people can join in and sing their, the hymns to their heart's content at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we're doing that. And then through the week, actually, we have um, on Fridays, traditionally, we have prayers from the Shrine of St. David, prayers for pilgrims. And so those are now broadcast. And whatever happens, I think, when, we're, when we do them uh, live with congregations in the future, those will continue to be broadcast. And I think we will mm. continue to maintain mm. and expand our online presence. Mm. And one of the lovely things about that is that... Um, as we mentioned earlier, we get this 300,000 visitors from around the world, and many of those actually continue to return. And so we have people from the US and Canada and New Zealand and, and everywhere in between able to, be, to feel part of this place, which is so special to them. 
the parish churches are doing the same thing as well because talking to St Nicholas Tremarchog, they they, they yeah, have a yeah. Zoom. So it's uh, in some ways it's it it's it, there is a silver lining. It seems that, uh, that, that it's it's something that's come out of this adversity. Yes, yes, I, I think so. I mean, I was I was talking with with some uh, friends a, a couple of weeks back at about the way that you know what is tradition really, and perhaps uh, what we've been able to do through COVID is realise what is the heart of tradition which we must carry on with and nurture and reformulate and and express in new ways on what was just habit, which we can let go of. Uh, and that's it's yeah. been a really intriguing way of, of yeah. looking at that. And, and it's really helped us focus on what, what we're really about, what really does matter. Yeah. I was about to just say that, Dean Sarah, is that without getting too philosophical about it, maybe it has, <laughs> you know, actually pared it down to um, what, what, what the real core of what, you, what you're about. Has, is that, would that be the case, do you think? I, th- I think so. I mean... There's, there is that sense of, of looking at, you know, somebody once said the job of the cathedral is to worship God and pray for the bishop and everything that's in the in the bishop's care. And, and there's something about that, but actually to use that as a, a springboard to encourage not just talking about the love of God, but to live out the, the love of God in tangible acts of, of human kindness and paying it forward and all of those different phrases that one might want to use. But that... that the praying engine, the energy for all of this is is the rhythm of the worshipping life because um, all clergy are expected to pray in the morning and in the evening and it keeps you anchored in the roots of what you're all about and it keeps you close to God so that you can, you know, God's energy and direction points you in the right the right way forward so that you have a much more fruitful life. Well, that's what we we hope and believe. But here at the cathedral, it's not just about us in our, our small area, but that sense of being the praying heart of the diocese of a whole and somehow that sense of supporting everybody through our prayer. And often people will send us their prayer requests so that we have we have sort of sort of calendars of prayer through which we we work each month. And indeed, we even have a list of churches dedicated to St. David from around the entire world, which we pay, pray through in the course of a year. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, we, we, there is that that energy. What else? What else have you been doing? Well, we are a parish church and so we are involved in the local community. Um, and one of the things which has been um, growing in need that we found over the last year is the work of the food bank, um, the Trussell Trust. And so we're very involved in supporting that. And also within the city, there's been a, a separate independent hub set up to support people who found themselves in particular need. So so we've, the, the support for the food bank is something that's been going on for a long time, but we've had to go up a few gears in what we've been doing with them. Um, Another another fresh initiative, which actually I spoke, suppose has come out of the COVID uh, time, is realising that what we're trying to do is take the inside outside, so to speak, that some of the things that we might have done inside the cathedral we're having to do beyond its walls uh, on one level. Um, that just means that the, the, the choristers, the girls who's, and, and boys who sing in the, the, the choir, um, instead of coming together, they're having to do some of their rehearsals on Zoom, which is perhaps more about just keeping in touch. I think the, the chance of musical excellence is, is harder to coordinate with people because of the time lengths and all of that. But, um, but one fresh initiative is that we're working with EcoDewi, um, which is a, an environmental group. They're helping us set up uh, a community garden in one of the areas that we have. It's... Um, it's a, it's a large walled garden area within the, the cathedral close, which has just been overgrown for some years. It, it used to be uh, used by someone as a sort of market garden, but after years of, of, of abandonment, now actually people are able to, well, not, not during this actual lockdown, but, but over the autumn, um, socially distanced to come and clear out the undergrowth and in fact, we've had been very fortunate to receive grants from a couple of bodies, um, Keep Wales Tidy is one of them, but, uh, to, to put in greenhouses, vegetable gardens, um, some flower meadow. 
Um, and we're going to, to use this. It's, it's a, a community project with the cathedral working together with people who who love God's, God's creation and want to be involved there, perhaps wouldn't fancy just sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning, but rolling up their sleeves and the worship of their lives through the nurturing of vegetable gardens, flowers, and a, a place to bring community together. Um, and I think mm. you know, we know that gardening is good for mental health and it's good for, for building relationships and it's, mm. it's good for our physical well-being. Mm. So that's a, another project that we're up to at the moment. That, that's fantastic. And, and does, does the produce from that community garden, does that go into the food bank or...? Well, well, uh, I think the seeds have got to go into the ground oh, yeah. first. Right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the, but we will be looking at, the, at things like that. Yeah, it, precisely. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Dean Sarah, there's one last question um, or, or point that I'd like to talk about. Um, before we, as we were setting up and getting our microphones sorted, you, you were talking about the Lenten journey that you're on at the moment. And it seems really pertinent to these times um, uh, as to what it is. Would you, but first of all, would you, would you tell me about what the Lenten journey is right. um, okay, and well, what it means? Yes, well, I, I mentioned earlier when we were, were speaking just now about the way that the Lent is about preparing us yeah. for Easter and often it's about giving up and all of that. Um, one of the, the things that struck us is, you know, that there's that stepping back, reflecting on the burdens of life, learning the lessons and being ready to receive in order to move forward. And that's the rhythm of Lent every year. And I talked about the way that, that COVID, you know, here we are still stuck, I suppose. It's the Lentness of the COVID journey. We haven't reached the Easter. We, it will come and there will be a new, a new going forward. And so we do have to, to reflect on lessons learned and be ready to, to pick up the challenges and opportunities ahead. But um, in fact, Canon Lee, the subdean here, was was talking about the way that if you go back to the med medieval time, the pilgrims who came, however long their distance, when they were just outside the cathedral close, perhaps, you know, Dalrog Common between here and Llanhrian, some people will know that. There was a place there where pilgrims would camp. They would stay for a few days. They would rest. They would reflect on the burdensome nature of the journey, the hardships they'd experienced. Um, they would mull on it all and the lessons, the inner journey as well as the outer journey, which is at the heart of pilgrimage. They'd also do the basic things of, you know, having a good wash themselves and their clothes and cleaning up and <laughs> sorting themselves out, getting their ducks in a row, so to speak, so that they would feel ready Right, today's the day. And they would walk in to the heart of St. David's, into the close, into the cathedral. They would be there on holy ground at the shrine, the place where people had come close to God since the time of David and feel, OK, here I am. I'm ready to receive what God has for me so that I can go on, go home, go into my new future, the new chapter of my life. And so this year, online, um, we think posting, you know, um, we've got little reflections and pictures uh, every day posted and then some sort of talk or reflection or the, or the, the Sunday service three times a week. We will be taking that, that, that sort of journey of, first of all, rest, ponder the burden, take note of what you've been through and then reflect, okay, this is what it's been like. What are the lessons to learn? How is it shaping me? What's, what do I learned about myself? What do I want to let go of? What do I want to take forward? And then to try and make ourselves ready, ready to receive from the goodness of God into whatever opportunity lies ahead. So that, that pilgrim journey and the Lent journey and the COVID journey all stack up together this year. So we'll be offering resources from the cathedral through the Facebook page and the YouTube channel for people in the parish, people in the diocese, across Wales, across the world. Come and join us on this journey together this Lent, this Easter. Dean Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you very much for this. It's been fascinating.
Oh, it's been a, a joy to talk with you. Thanks for the opportunity to share all this. With thanks again to my colleague John Ewart, in conversation there with the very Reverend Dr Sarah Rowland-Jones, the Dean of St David's. And obviously a very busy time for the Cathedral and many others at this time of year. Just have a little patience Still hanging from a But any minute all the pain will stop Just hold me close inside your arms tonight Don't be too hard on my emotions Cause I need time
We'll now, just as a final kind of tease, really, like to take you back to another of our leader-funded projects here in Pembrokeshire. And the one we're going to close with today is the Local Energy Action Force project, more commonly known as LEAF. Now, this was a project which was uh, begun back in October 2018 and finished in 2020. Now, this was a fairly significant project in terms of cost at around £237,000 in total. And it was a really innovative project which was aiming to work with five local communities and supporting them to generate and trade sustainable energy themselves. Um, with support from dedicated staff, the project itself was there to look at how it could provide extra local capacity to community energy projects. And the LEAF project was going to address that by being technically innovative and bespoke to each of the community's characteristics and opportunities. The project was very much about promoting novel technologies looking at new markets and solutions which are expected to arise from learning and replication in sharing best practice across communities, not only from here in Pembrokeshire, but across West Wales. So my colleague Abby Marriott went to speak to Peter Davis, who was chair of the working group for the LEAF project, to find out more. Millennium Planning, the Planning Podcast. Okay, I'm here at Wiseman's Bridge. I'm Abby from the Leader Team. I'm here with Peter from the Leaf Project, um, and thankfully it's a lovely day. So, Peter, can I ask you a bit about the Leaf Project? Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, well, just a bit of background first. Uh, I, I chair Community Energy Pembrokeshire, which is a small uh, community interest uh, company. Uh, the origins of which actually are are, are with Planet, uh, uh, because uh, it was around establishing a wind turbine, which is now operating. Uh, it took something like 10 years or so to get it operating. Uh, so it dates back a long way. Uh, but Community Energy Pembrokeshire was essentially established to drive forward the establishment of that wind turbine. Uh, but in that process, we realised that actually we needed to have a wider role in building the capacity of communities across Pembrokeshire uh, to uh, respond to the energy crisis and to build greater uh, ownership of community energy as, as, a, as a local level. Uh, so the Local Energy Action Force uh, LEAF uh, project uh, was uh, proposed uh, and uh, was submitted to uh, LEADER, uh, very much with support from Welsh Government Energy Service, who provided uh, the match funding uh, for for, for the for the pro, for the project, uh, and the idea is essentially to work in a small number of communities, five communities, uh, to build capacity in those communities, to build a sense of ownership uh, of the community uh, around energy uh, issues uh, in those in, in those communities, and to develop the the skills and knowledge of individuals to take forward uh, local energy projects in those in those areas. So you said about the leader funding. Um, how can I ask how? the leader team supported your project? Yeah, the leader team were great. Um, as I say, you know, Planet you know, had a key role in establishing community energy Pembrokeshire at the, at the outset. And uh, the leader team uh, at Planet on this project have been brilliant all the way through, uh, both in terms of you know, supporting the application, and that was a, a very rigorous process and an interview with the panel, etc. Um, and then the ongoing support and management of the project going forward and advising us on, uh, uh, on, on, on managing the funding. Uh, you know, we're, we're a small uh, you know, voluntary uh, organisation. All the directors are, uh, are, are volunteers, so we don't have any paid staff other than the staff we employed uh, under, the Leaf, uh, under the LEAF project. So the support of the team was, it was pretty essential, really, in enabling us to, to take the project forward. Okay. And what's gone well for, for the LEAF project, or is there any challenges you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, like it's been a it's been a, a challenging project uh, for a number of different reasons, really. Um, mainly COVID, uh, because the project was very much designed around uh, community uh, face-to-face uh, working, uh, building of understanding and trust, and uh, uh, and 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 an approach to community energy at a local level. It was also based around uh, bringing in uh, specific expertise into those communities and taking those communities out to see different projects. And of course, once COVID hit, all of that 
uh, fell 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 apart, and we had to sort of re uh, reshape it uh, in in a, in a more virtual nature, which was you know which was a challenge. Um, I think also you know one of the learning uh, points from the project is um, you, you these these things take a long time to develop, um, and particularly if you're working from a community that doesn't have a base of community association and community development uh, doesn't have the involvement of the community council then actually that's a very low base to start from and that takes a long time to to to, to, to develop um, also you know practically very sadly we were impacted by uh, long-term illness a small team only a, a small number of uh, part-time project officers uh, and when you have uh, you know somebody uh, who very sadly has long-term illness as part of that team that impacts quite significantly on on us on a small project um, so yeah the, the recognition that you need to build a length of time uh, the fact that we were all voluntary directors in terms of giving time to the project and we had the big Development of the wind turbine going on at the same time, uh, so that meant that we, uh, you know, we had quite a lot on our plate over that uh, over that period. Um, where I think we saw, you know, real uh, success or where there was real learning was the importance of. Um, as I say, building on the strengths that were already there. I would say, you know, those areas that had strong involvement of the community council uh, was 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 a really important uh, fa factor. Uh, those areas that had well-established community networks and associations, and, and a lot of that dates back to Planet's work over the years in, in developing those. Um, that that was a that was a really important part of of it. Um, you had also to build the long-term trust within the communities because, actually, even even though um, you know we are talking about climate crisis and energy crisis, um, the you know, the fact is that you know, it can be quite a tough role when you're leading at a local community level and you're trying to make this uh, project happen. Uh, and you know, I know um, you know some of our project officers working uh, you know, in those five communities, you know, found it quite difficult uh, because you know not everybody was on board. With the idea of local renewable energy and the introduction of, you know, perhaps a, a, a solar development in 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 the area, uh, so yeah, you you realise that um, you know, community activism and community leadership is tough, needs support, uh, and can be quite challenging for 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 the, for the individuals trying to lead at a local at a local level, uh, and that's why that needs that that sort of support investment uh, from projects like uh, like Leaf. Um, and I think uh, context is important. I've mentioned COVID. You know, that was a really you know, negative context. Uh, and now, of course, we're moving into a really positive context in the sense that we, yeah, uh, that we're now at a point where we have a real energy crisis, and the people are really understanding the nature of an energy crisis. Uh, and I think that context will make a difference going forward in terms of the willingness of communities to engage, the importance of community councils to take a leadership role on behalf of their community in this, I think, is absolutely uh, critical uh, because you know, this is going to affect uh, you know, the most vulnerable in, com in, in communities in terms of cost of energy. Uh, and it's also going to be a, an essential part of delivering net zero to make sure that community energy, the ownership of energy at a community level, is central to the energy system going going forward. It means we keep the money locally. Um, you know, it means that we uh, plug the leaky bucket that Planet used to talk about at one <laughs> point, uh, where money leaks out of communities. We keep that energy, uh, uh, um, the value of that energy uh, and the uh, income from that energy locally in, in, the, in the community. So, yeah, so the LEAF project... Um, you know, it was about taking that work forward. A lot of learning over those two years, uh, and I think now we need to take that learning forward into the into the next stage. Yeah, as I say, working with community councils in particular, uh, working with uh, you know the energy developers. You know, we have a major sense of a major focus in Pembrokeshire in Milford. Uh, the Milford Haven Energy Kingdom development you know, is a UK uh, is is important at a UK le level in terms of the development in Milford, uh, and so communities are going to be part of that initiative as as well. It can't be simply a sort of top down uh, initiative. Communities in Milford and in Pembrokeshire as a whole have got to be part of that sort of energy revolution that's going to be happening over the next uh, uh, 
short period of time. Okay, thank you. I think we covered everything about what's next for the project. Is there anything you want to add? No, I, th- I think yeah, I think uh, just to say that Leader is uh, uh, for me. Leader has always been one of the most important funding mechanisms uh, because it's about trialing, it's about innovation, and it accepts failure. And as I've mentioned, you know, we've had some failures in this project, but we but the learning from failures can be more important than the successes, uh, and that's why the Leader principle is such an important principle to adopt uh, in funding plans going forward. You know, local ownership of, of the scheme and an acceptance that it is about innovation and trialling new ideas and sometimes things fail, uh, but we learn from those projects and then take it forward. Mm. Okay, thank you. It was really interesting and thank you for joining us today. No, thanks for the opportunity. And there we have it. A big thank you to my colleague Abby Marriott from the leader team here in Planet, who was talking to Peter Davis about the LEAF project, more commonly known perhaps as the Local Energy Action Force, and the work which they've been doing across Pembrokeshire over the two years of funding that they received from the leader programme, or Arwainsir Benvro, as we now know it. So we've come to the end of our four weeks here with Pure West Radio colleagues and looking back at some of the people, the projects and the communities that we've spoken to in Pembrokeshire as part of the work that we do with Planet and particularly the work through the projects which have been funded by the Leader Fund here in the county. We started off four weeks ago talking to Gareth Reynolds and his row across the Atlantic solo. We then talked to projects from Tir Coid. We also talked about uh, compassionate communities. We talked about the hub in Narbuth. And today now, as we've heard from the Dean of St David's and the LEAF project itself. But there are many other projects which have been funded by LEADER, which we haven't been able to actually kind of talk in more detail about. And if you wanted to find out more about some of the projects which have been funded by LEADER, you can either go to the Planet website, which is planet.org.uk, or you can go to the dedicated LEADER website, which is arwainsirbenvro.cymru. And there you will find a list of all the projects, the 67 projects, which have been funded through the LEADER programme, ranging from a Pembroke Dock Tourism Feasibility Study to the Henry VII Visitor Centre Study, the Medieval Kiln up at Newport, a look at the Women of West Wales History Programme working with Narbuth Museum, and then other projects which have been more about business, others which have been about the environment and others which have been about community and culture. So it's worth having a look if you get the chance. But we'd like to say a big thank you to our colleagues here at Pure West for letting us take over the airwaves for the last four weeks and for sharing some of our stories of the people, the places and the projects who we have actually come into contact with through our work as Planet and also through the LEADER programme. We also would like to take this opportunity to wish you all a safe and prosperous, happy and healthy new year. And again, hopefully look forward to sharing some of the stories from around our communities and the people across Pembrokeshire in the future with you here on Pure West Rodeo. So, blwyddyn newyddar, happy new year. And you can dance for inspiration.
Come on!